Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm also a motivational speaker, a speaker mentor, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And I do want to just remind everyone, my book just came out recently on Audible's. So you can purchase it through Amazon or Audibles. And 10% of all my net sales will be donated to Breast Friends in support of this radio show. So with that, um, let you know Sharon is on vacation. She just left yesterday for Italy. Oh, my gosh. We went there together um, a couple years ago, a few years ago, and it was pretty amazing. So, um, And I've been there with my husband. I've been there three times because Italy is on my list. I might retire there at some point. Um, but anyway, it's it's a great opportunity for her to spend some time with her brother that she found um, and we just we're just very happy for her. so with that I wanted to go right into our inspirational message today before I introduce our guest and today our topic is going to be on self-care and when I think about self-care you know it's 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 really important that we do find ways to take care of ourselves. And when I sometimes when I walk down the street and I see somebody walk past me and they just have a very pleasant expression on their face. You know, they, they look like they're just happy about something and they're all alone. They're not engaged in a conversation. They're just alone, but they're smiling. Or you're sitting in a restaurant and you see a person who's sitting alone and they're smiling. It, that's such a beautiful thing to witness. And when I was going through the Bible here with my husband recently, there is a scripture that really kind of defines that. And it's Proverbs fifteen thirteen, And that is, a happy heart makes a cheerful face. And I, I love that so much because I don't think you can have that beautiful expression unless your heart is happy. So I, I don't know how we attain that, but maybe we'll learn some things today with our guest. So let's talk about what is self-care. And some people confuse the term with self-serving or self-promotion. And maybe in some ways, maybe it is a little bit. But it's without it, people who rely on you could be left all alone if you don't take care of yourself. And I know there are many cultures where um, it's kind of family first, woman second. And the problem there is if the woman is so busy taking care of her family, um, there, there's, and something bad happens to her, then what? Who's going to take care of the family? So I don't care what culture this is. This is such an important topic. And our guest today, Kathy Lehman, is a registered di- dietitian. She's a nutritionist and a certified personal trainer. And she's going to share with us and debunk some of the myths surrounding proper self-care for cancer patients. Oh, and did I mention that Kathy is also a cancer survivor? So welcome to our show, Kathy. We are so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Becky. It's it's so wonderful to be here with you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. So why don't you take a minute and just share a little bit about your life, you know, your family, your hobbies, anything personal you want us to know about you so our audience can get to know you. I, I've had the pleasure of having a lovely chat with you, and I want our audience to have that same ex- ex- experience. So just tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, um, Very briefly, I live with my husband in the Chicago area, and where the weather is not particularly uh, 
fabulous most of the time, but the <laughs> Chicago area is fabulous. I, I love the energy of the urban, um, you know, the urban area. I don't live in downtown Chicago any longer. We live outside of that, but we're in Chicago often, especially in the summer. So I, I really love that urban vibe, but I also love where we live, which is a little bit more quiet and there's some solitude. So I, I like that balance. Uh, I love to cook. And bake. I'm I'm a, a freak about making over recipes to be healthier and more nutritious and more, um, you know, just quality and nourishing. P- part of that has to do with the fact that I am a dietitian, but I, I also just say <laughs> I feel better when I eat that way. Yeah. My husband feels better when he eats that way. I think, um, you know, my dream would be for everyone to be able to eat that way. But it's just I love cooking and and baking anyway. So, um, you know, tweaking recipes to make them even more nutritious I, it's kind of like a, um, a challenge that I love to take on I, I love, love to that. yeah it's fun yeah it, and you know cooking and baking for me is very creative and it's very cathartic it's kind of I always say when I'm in my kitchen that's my one of my grounding happy places so um, that gives me a happy heart and a cheerful face to be in my kitchen. I love that. I, you <laughs> know, and your, your photo looks like that when I haven't met you face to face yet, but you're in your photo, you have one of those kind of cheerful looking faces. So, um, which is, you know, what's really fun about having a cheerful face what? is people are super <laughs> photogenic. You know, when you have, when you have a naturally happy face, you have, people are photogenic. I've never known oh, anyone no. who can't, that doesn't, that has that, but then takes a terrible photo. I, you know, and, I just I think that's kind of an interesting thing. So so I'm working on having a, a happy heart all the time, consistently, so that no matter what, my husband, if he snaps some random photo of me, it's not one that I'm gonna go, ew, don't post that. You know? Oh, I have a lot of those ooh, don't post that pictures. I had a great photographer for the photo that you see of me, so that helps when you have a good photographer. <laughs> And yeah, a does. cheerful, happy heart. I think yeah. it all works together because they have airbrushing and things like they that. They do. It makes Photoshop anyone look cheerful. Yeah. yeah. They cut out a few pounds around the middle. I mean, it's pretty awesome what they can do. Yeah. It's magical. Magical. It is. But, well, Kathy, um, tell, tell us a little bit about how you got into this line of work. You know, how how did you become a nutritionist? Why did you do that? What's What was the motivation behind all of that? Sure. So after high school, I did not go directly to college. Um, College was not something that anyone in my family had done. I'm the first one in my family to graduate from a four-year college. I'm the only one in my family with an advanced degree. And and those were both goals of mine in in time. So, uh, but at the time of, like I said, after high school, skipped that, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I was more interested in fashion and followed that route as a career choice, but that sort of went off the rails and didn't end up being something that I thought I could pursue for the rest of my life. So around that time, I became interested in really pursuing a college degree, and I was fascinated by nutrition. Not um, There was no life-changing illness or something like that that happened to me or anyone in my family or friends. I just thought it was a really interesting field. I knew it was growing, and I was interested in the preventive and wellness side of nutrition. I wanted to use nutrition to help keep people healthy, help keep them out of hospitals. I didn't want to work in a hospital. I've never worked in a hospital as a dietitian outside of my clinical rotations um, to gain my registration, but 
uh, that just solidified my commitment to not wanting to work in a hospital. And I wanted to go into private practice and work with women who struggled with weight issues and wanted to, again, use nutrition as a way to live a very robust and balanced and, and healthy, resilient life. And I learned very quickly that most of the women who came to see me as a nutrition therapist it wasn't about the food. It was more about all of the issues that drive the behavior with food. And that was fascinating to me. So when I, um, after I got my degree in nutrition and earned my registered dietitian status, then I went to graduate school and I studied health psychology, not to become a psychologist, but because I wanted to use the behavior change aspect of that mm-hmm. discipline to help my clients. And it was really, it's just been invaluable in my work. That's great. Um, Let me ask you a question. Yeah, so sure. this, des- this desire to improve recipes, like you said, you kind of look at it as a challenge. Is is that Did that happen before you went to school to become a nutritionist? Or was that something that you developed after the fact? I'm just curious how far back that goes. I had a, a really strong interest in it before I went to school, but it only grew as I went through school. Because the more you learn, obviously, about the power of food and nutrients and nutrition on, mm-hmm. you know, just the way that, you know, I mean, the way that it impacts us for, in so many ways, it just really, for me, it just all kind of came, it comes together in the kitchen. And, um, yeah, so it really, that just, that interest grew. Good. Um, yeah. And then I, you know, after I got my, you know, there is a difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist. And I always uh-huh. like to remind people that I am a dietitian, so I do have a degree in nutrition. And we have to do an extensive um, internship and sit for an exam in order to become registered as dietitians. So okay. all dietitians are nutritionists. But not all not nutritionists are dietitians. Okay, got right. it. Right. And got anyone it. could be a nutritionist, a nutritionist essentially, or call themselves a nutritionist. Okay, and that's an important distinction. It so really is. Yeah. Is, it, is sure. it fair to ask somebody when you when they tell you that they're a, a a nutritionist? If is that a fair question to ask them, or is it awkward? I I don't know. No, that's a that's a one hundred percent a very valuable question to ask someone, particularly. And this sort of leads into some of our discussion today, but particularly if someone's been diagnosed with breast cancer and they're and they're looking to work with someone on their nutrition, I cannot stress enough how important and critical and even safe it can be for outcomes to work with someone who is trained in nutrition. I mean, you can get a nutrition certificate or diploma uh, with an online course, and that is not what you need when you are staring down a cancer diagnosis. I in would fact, suppose just, that, yes. <laughs> yeah, in fact, just yesterday I was listening to a podcast. I also happen to be a podcast junkie, and this woman who was being interviewed uh, decided to go to, to a one-year school where she learned the business side and, and the theories of nutrition, and then she was set free to work with clients. And she does not have a nutrition. And I am adamant about this. I'm like, look, you cannot get a degree. Nutrition is a science and it it definitely impacts um, outcomes for disease. And so as dietitians, we are trained clinically, but we're also trained preventively and on the wellness side. So uh, that's kind of my soapbox about work with someone who is qualified for sure. I, I appreciate that. You're also a personal trainer. How did you get involved in that? Yes. Uh, so after I finished my RD, which 
took me five years to get through all of that, the schooling and the training and all of that, I met another dietitian who would, had become a personal trainer. And she was working with her clients doing uh, personal training as well as nutrition counseling. And I love that because aside from being a fan of you know, cooking and just wellness in general, I also am a fitness junkie. I ran I ran in high school. I, I've run since high school and have always, you know, exercise and fitness to me is just like breathing. It's a part of my mm-hmm. day, like brushing my teeth and getting out of bed. And I, in my mind... I'm really looking forward to that. It's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I have tips for you on that. But, you know, in my mind, holistic health and wellness and well-being it's two sides of the same coin nutrition and fitness you really can't have one without the other if you want to be optimally holistically healthy and so I thought you know what I love how she combined those two in her career and I'm going to do that so I became certified and I started working with clients in their homes pardon me here um near where I live. So I would drive to my clients' homes, particularly, you know, women who were not comfortable going to a health club. Or, you know, the health club environment is for people to get healthier, but they tend to exist with mostly healthy people and fit people. So people who are not there yet are intimidated, which is a whole nother discussion. But so I would work with clients in their homes where they're comfortable. And then I had a, a, um, an office where I did my nutrition therapy. And then also combined with those two things, I started doing corporate wellness work. So a lot of public speaking and educating at the corporate level on nutrition and fitness and wellness practices for employees and well, HR teams. You. And well, you've yeah. just taken this full circle. That's that's amazing. So I'm going to ask you a question because we're coming up on the break here in a, yeah, in a sure. couple minutes. So, But I want to ask you, you know, it's okay. So you honestly are living proof that cancer, breast cancer doesn't discriminate. I mean, you eat right, you exercise, yet you got cancer. How did you feel, you know, when you were first diagnosed? How did that, how that hit you? I'd be mad. <laughs> I don't well, know about you, but I would be mad. I was the like, name of my initiative that I have founded since my breast cancer is called Damn Mad About Breast Cancer. And you hit the nail on the head. It was literally rage and disbelief and denial and yeah, I'll never forget the day I, I got my diagnosis, which no one thought would be a diagnosis, including, I might add, my doctor. Um, so she was surprised. And I had come home for lunch to take the call at, at my house. where My husband works from home, so I came home. He was there. I took the call, got the information. I said, you know what? I looked at my husband. I said, I need to go back to work because I have clients until 7 o'clock tonight. And he said, I will drive you. And so... I went right back to my office and I saw clients from 2, I think 1 o'clock, 1.30 on till 7 p.m. And that was the d- denial part um, because I thought this is impossible. This is in- erroneous information I just received. There is no way. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, the rage, it, I had to channel that rage, which was really becoming corrosive for me because I am not, you just said what a happy face I have. I am not a ragey person, but at <laughs> that like point, no. I was ragey, and it was cor- becoming corrosive, and I just thought, I don't, I can't function like this, and so I I knew I needed to use my professional and personal experience and give back to the breast cancer community, and that's, 
I took that rage and that's what I channeled into creating Damn Mad about breast cancer, which we can talk about later. But yeah, for sure. You and it wasn't, you know, someone actually asked me, they said, don't do you feel like your body betrayed you? And I was very private about my diagnosis. I there are still people who don't know. (laughs) Um, They do now if they're listening. They do now. But (laughs) we'll just keep it between us, though. You know, we won't tell them. (laughs) A few million people. But, you know, it started. I mean, I really just told people who needed to know. And I was able to do that because I did not have to have chemotherapy. So I was very lucky in that regard. And so I could keep it a secret unless I wanted to share it. And so I shared it with a few of my clients I was working with because at that time I'd opened a private personal training studio as well as my private nutrition practice. And um, I said, you know, I don't feel betrayed by my body. I feel like my body is well suited to take this on and it has done everything it can, can, it can do to sort of hold back the the intensity of this and you know there are forces at work here which is a whole nother discussion that I feel are at play and that I just my body was like okay I did all I can to hold it off and we've got a we've had a little break in the in the dam here the levee's broken a little bit but um so yeah it's it's really hard because I think that you know when as a cancer survivor you know I think we all want to have a reason that we can blame our cancer on you know we we had a gal that called our office one day and and insisted that her cancer was caused by drinking diet soda and Mm -hmm. maybe it was but maybe it wasn't there was no evidence of that at that point and when we told her you know there's no way to really know that that's the she got angry Mm -hmm. and and I felt, you know, we felt bad that she got angry about it, but she wanted to blame something, and we were trying to help <laughs> by taking that away and saying, you know, sometimes it's it's not anything like that. It's just cancer is ugly, it's mean, and it's it's very strong, and yeah. you know, it can it can take down the strongest and best. So, um, with that, Kathy, we're going to go out to break. So when yeah, sure. we come back on the other side, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about self-care more specifically. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about self-care and healthy lifestyle through cancer with our guest, Kathy Lehman. And Kathy, I want to ask you something. Something kind of occurred to me that you said, and I just want to go back to it. You mentioned that when you went through your treatment, you didn't have chemo. Does that mean you caught it early? Can you tell us just a little bit about your your diagnosis and then how self-care fit into that? Yeah, sure. Um, it, it was early. It was stage one. And um, hormonally driven, so estrogen and progesterone positive. And I had a lumpectomy, and I had uh, 20 rounds of radiation. And then I'm on aromatase inhibitors until March 17th of next year. Not that I'm counting the days, but I am kind (laughs) of counting the days. Yeah. Um, But it was very low grade. It was not aggressive. I had a very low KI score. And I tend to say I had vanilla breast cancer, when you think of all the flavors of breast cancer that are out there, um, I feel like I had really good pathology and I'm just so lucky. Um, Yet what I have learned since that diagnosis is that, you know, it really doesn't matter (laughs) where you are when you're diagnosed, things can can change um, in a heartbeat. So how did you find yours? Stage one is you're kind of the poster child for this. We want, we always want to catch it early. So how, what, what did you do? Was it routine mammogram or something else? No, I, um, I did not catch it. In fact, my doctor, just my general practitioner at a wellness visit. Yeah. It was just the craziest thing. I go every October for just my wellness checkup and uh, she asked me if I was going to be seeing my um, gynecologist. I said, no, I'm going to skip that this year because I'm seeing you right now. And she said, great, I'll do a breast exam. And she noticed visibly something that was a discrepancy from left to right side, pointed it out to me. She said, is that normal? I said, I don't know. I don't really check. And kind of, you know, felt like a little guilty about that. But I just kind of glossed over it. And she said, well, I just noticed something, and I just wondered, and I went to my office, I worked all day, I went home, went to bed, got up the next morning to take a shower, and I thought, I wonder what she was talking about. It took me that long, Becky, for it even to uh-huh. register, because I'm like, there's no, I'm sure there's nothing, I would never have, it didn't even occur to me, because yeah, they, exactly. it's not in my family, I, was the, I had just run the Chicago Half Marathon seven weeks prior, well, at this point, it was just a few weeks prior, and I'm like, there's no way. And so I no- looked in the mirror, and I did see a discrepancy on mm-hmm. one side, and just felt that cold chill that people talk about, like yeah. ice went through my veins. I mm-hmm. literally, and I just started doing the things you should do. You know, called for a mammogram, and then there you go. We we're off to the races. Um, but I had a surgical biopsy, and even like I said, my doctor did not think that it was 
cancer, she thought it was perhaps a nodule and that it was just, you know, something we just needed to investigate. Sure. Yeah, that so, makes more sense, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, given your <clears throat> given your your health status, that would make perfect sense. Yeah. But but that you're that's your good I want to kind of state that because I think a lot of people will ignore things like that because they think it must be a nodule or a lymph, not a lymph node, a, a cyst or something, you right. know, and, and they, and they, because they're healthy, because they don't have a family history and the family history of breast cancer is really a small percentage of the people who get breast cancer. And that is um, true. Although at the time I did not realize, I mean, there are so many things I did not know about breast cancer because why yeah. would you, I mean, even yeah. though I work in the healthcare world and I had done presentations on mm-hmm. quote unquote fighting cancer with your knife and fork. And I was very aware of the connection to diet and exercise and risk. Did I did you not just make that up? the weeds. What? Did you fighting cancer with your knife and fork? No, it's a presentation that I do. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I've done it for years at corporate level and for you know professional groups. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, this is not something that I was not, familiar with but I was not anyone who was in the line of fire for getting breast cancer because of all the reasons we just said you know I'm fit and healthy and young and no family history but what I have learned since then when you get into the weeds with actually walking that Mm -hmm. breast cancer walk Mm -hmm. you know you learn things you never would have known before and same for me you know, yeah. I have to share something all along that line, too. When I was first diagnosed in 1996, I was diagnosed stage three um, or just right, right under stage three. So it was really close. And they asked me if I had a family history. And I said, not that I'm aware of. Well, <laughs> oh. you know, it's funny, like you talk about getting in the weeds, right? So that kind of opened some floodgates because I had to go and ask my family. And, you know, there, there was a time people didn't talk about cancer. And Turns out that um, my mom did develop breast cancer after me, but she's the only one on her side of the family. So they never looked at her as a possible genetic, you know, connection. But my dad's side of the family, his mom, as it turns out, had breast cancer. His sister had it twice, which I I didn't know about either of them. And then... After I was diagnosed, then my cousin, my first cousin, got diagnosed with cancer, all on that same side. So we did have the genetic, um, we did have a genetic mutation, as it turns out. We, you know, back Mm. in 10, 12 years ago, did the BRCA test, and I turned out negative for that. But since then, they've developed a whole new panel of gene mutations. And so I got tested again, and I did test positive for two gene mutations, not the BRCA one or two, but um, some other ones. So... As I'm, you know, I'm going through this process thinking I have no family connection, and yet I had a very strong family connection that I just wasn't aware of. Yes. So, you know, just another thing for people to keep in mind that we don't always know our family history because people didn't talk about it. So don't, that's don't a, assume yeah. that. <laughs> that's know. a really good point. And I'll tell you what, I, you know, my dad's side has no um, now he has a cousin now who I think has leukemia, but low grade, you know, slow growth, that, that, but nothing else in the cancer realm. On my mom's side, we have cancer, but it's not breast cancer. It's, I call it smoking, drinking cancer, you know, like yeah. the things that come from addiction and over sure. use of, you know, alcohol and things like that. I mean, not, I'm not, I'm not saying that they deliberately cause, but there is a, you can see the connection more clearly yeah. there, but yeah. no breast cancer at all. And so I, they didn't even do testing on me for any of the bracket genes or the other gene panel at all, because they just felt with my pathology that there was, there wasn't a link. So, 
yeah, I've never even had that done. But wow. how interesting for yeah. you. To yeah, find it, that. Was, it was pretty surprising. Pretty amazing. Yeah, su- yeah, totally surprising. It's like, well, it turns out I do, you know, yeah, ask me that, ag- sure. that question again. So before we, um, I, I, we have plenty of time in this segment, but I don't want to run out of time. So yeah. let's talk about self-care. What does that mean to you? And why is it so important? Oh, my goodness. Well, let me just start by saying, Becky, it, I believe self-care for women, especially not men. I'm not excluding the men, but particularly for women, as you spoke of in your intro. It's so critical. I wrote my master's thesis on women and self-care mm. and how neglecting self-care can lead to issues that have a nutritional diet, weight and health component that can just exacerbate and sort of snowball out of control and one feeds into the other and so I think it is so important to have a conversation with that about women and I am really a huge advocate of women practicing self-care and and what that is is it's actually it's taking an intentional role an active and intentional role in protecting and preserving your own well-being and you know it's making that conscious effort to take care of yourself. So it's I like to say that it's you taking care of you yes. with intention, with deliberate action. And action is the key word because we can all think about it all day long, but it's actually doing the things that keep us balanced and grounded. And there are several types of um, self-care. And we can talk about those more in detail later. But it, it's so important because... You know, we need to engage in activities that restore us and that ground us and that um, there's actually data that shows that self-care can bolster our immune system. You know, when we do things that are kind to ourselves and, and replete versus deplete us, we activate something called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's rejuvenating. It's sort of like pressing the reset button on yourself. So your body is stronger and more resilient. And, and I always like to share with women that, you know, there's, I like the teapot analogy. You, can, you can't give to other people, and you also spoke to this in your intro, um, you can't give to others or help others if you are depleted. And so with a teapot, think about all those little teacups that sit around a teapot. You can't refill those teacups from an empty pot. That's so, so true. That's isn't a beautiful that true? picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I, people really get that. So keeping your own teapot, you know, steep your tea leaves and keep your pot topped off and warm and you can help other people much more. You just be there for other people much yeah. more. Um, you're more effective at that. So let me ask you another question. Um, you know, we, we obviously, when we talk about self-care, we know because of how we started this and where we're going to still go with some of this is, you know, Diet and exercise and all those are very important key components in self-care. What else? Can you just give us a a quick little list of some other things that people might think of when they think of self-care? Sure. Well, as I mentioned, there are several types. And actually, depending on which what you're reading and what you're, you know, in terms of and referencing in terms of types, you can find anywhere from five to seven types of self-care practices. But for me, I think the best wellness self-care practices that speak to most of the, the people that wor- I work with in my audience are physical, social, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, and relational wellness okay. practices or self-care practices. 
Perfect. And then there are little, I have little examples for each of those. Okay. But I feel like for all, and you know, and we may not need all of them at the same time, but on some days, maybe we need a little bit more emotional self-care slash wellness behavior and practices and habits to step up. And on other days, maybe we need to feed that intellectual side of ourselves. Um, because, you know, the thing about those self-care behaviors and wellness behaviors, they help our healing. Because physical healing, as well as psychological, mental healing, it requires a lot of energy. It requires mental energy, spiritual energy, physical energy. And when when your energy is bound up with managing stress and anxiety, you know, you don't get the relaxation or the solitude that you need. It, it, you have less available to heal from, you know, less, to, less energy expenditure, if you will. That's, yes, I agree. I yeah. agree. So give, excuse me, can you give us that list again, those, um, sure. the, the areas that you said, just so we can, I want to write them down because I like, that's how I remember things. Me too. <laughs> me. Okay. okay, so sure. So physical, it, it, do you want examples of what these are or do you just want the names um, of them? Let's get the names of them because okay. I think some of them are probably kind of, sim- kind of self-explanatory. Yeah. I just want to miss anything. Okay. Sure. So physical, uh-huh. social. Okay. Emotional. Okay. Spiritual. Okay. Intellectual. All right. And relational. Okay. Um, Is there anything in there that would be a surprise to someone as you define them? I think it would be, and and keep in mind these aren't necessarily my own definitions. This is from you know my studying and research okay. and such. But sure, obviously physical, like you said, that's pretty self-explanatory. Exercise and sleep and nutrition, and social is relationships outside your immediate family. So okay. friendships or support groups, and particularly for women, those female friendships and and that community is so important. Uh, we kind of thrive on that, I I believe. And yeah, you know, let me add something to that. I th- yeah. and we're not we're not we're not combining. I mean, social media is one way to achieve some kind of relationships, but they're so shallow in the big picture. So when we talk about social self care, you're talking about real connections, like face to face, being with people, holding hands, <laughs> whatever. Right? I mean, well, not just. Posting yes, everything but, on Facebook and getting see how many likes you get kind of thing. Because that really doesn't do it. <laughs> yeah, know? if you pitted social against social media, in my opinion, social would win. <laughs> so yes, being okay. face-to-face. But it can also mean calling a friend that doesn't live near I mean, I have wonderful, two of my very best friends don't live near me. They don't live in the Chicago area. So I will call them or I will text them or I will, will shoot an email to each other. And so that's reaching out. Yeah, But that's okay. not our only way of interacting so you know we don't just talk with each other on social media so mm-hmm. and I think you can you can develop very strong relationships and friendships on social media in if you do it in the right yes. intentional way yes but absolutely there is nothing in my mind that um, takes the place of sitting with someone and looking into their eyes and yeah. sharing a meal or a cup of coffee or just going for a walk or something yep. like that so yeah for I, sure I for agree sure. I yeah. agree. So, well, thank you for that. Now, I know this is normally when we would probably be thinking about going out to break, but I just asked our engineer if we can skip the break <laughs> so we can oh, okay. <laughs> keep going clear to the end. So, okay. so that's what we're going to do um, because we still have a lot to talk about. Yeah, we do. Um, so I want to talk about 
the myths because we promised people that we would we would talk about some of the the myths and we would either confirm them or debunk them. So I'm going to ask you about some certain kinds of things that we hear about, and I would love it if you would comment. Would that be okay? Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about sugar. Does sugar cause cancer? No. It does not cause cancer. Okay. So as you and I chatted about yesterday, um, all of these topics could be an hour program in and of themselves. So I'm going to give you the high points on this. Okay. So when we're talking about sugar, every single day I read this somewhere on social media or someone asks me the question, sugar feeds cancer, sugar causes cancer, sugar drives cancer, sugar makes it worse. So it's important first to distinguish between added sugar Mm-hmm. And naturally occurring sugar. Okay. Naturally occurring sugar is found in fruit and um, milk. And milk has milk sugar. That's a naturally occurring sugar. The lactose is a naturally occurring sugar. Um, so added sugar are things you know are found in things like candy or pop or you know sweets and things like that. Things that we tend to look at more as treats. However. Added sugar is found in so many products on your grocery store shelves. So that's what I—that's distinction distinction between added and naturally occurring. So okay. it it doesn't feed, it doesn't cause cancer. Sugar does feed your cancer cells, but it feeds all of the cells in our body. There's no distinction. Your body's not saying, "Oh, the cancer cells get the sugar, the rest of us will sit this one out." Every okay. cell. Gotcha gets that it's called glucose okay and so your body even if you eat i have people tell me all the time i'm going to stop eating sugar for the rest of my life i'm never going to eat any more sugar i'm off sugar and i can do this for the rest of my life the thing is your body still makes glucose which is the you know your body's form of of sugar um metabolized form of sugar it makes that from protein and fat when it needs it. And your blood sugar never goes to zero. You would be dead if your blood sugar went to zero. It's very tightly controlled. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is an indirect effect that added sugar seems to um, exert on because of its influence on biochemical pathways. So that's, it, there's, it doesn't directly cause it, but there, the research is looking at, okay, what is its role? And if it can exert some sort of influence on these pathways, what is that and to what level of influence? And so that's where the research is at. There's actually more of a concern with insulin resistance that causes high blood sugar. So people who have uncontrolled diabetes or people who have um, metabolic syndrome where, you know, high blood sugar, high blood, blood glucose readings are consistent that is more of a concern because that may be one of the effects of too much sugar in the body. That would, And that can come from added sugar as well as naturally occurring. Anytime we eat sugar or carbohydrates, your blood sugar goes up. So if it doesn't come back down because you have insulin resistance or trouble metabolizing sugar, um, then that's something that we're looking at that could indirectly have a cause or not cause but have an impact. Sure. Um, and that makes perfect sense. And, you know, because I, I hear people say all the time that sugar causes cancer. And and I've not known that to be the case. But 
I mean, what causes cancer? Who knows? But but there are certain things that can feed it, to your point. Um, what about sugar and, and inflammation? And, and let me tell you why I'm asking that. Um, I'm on a trial right now for my fifth battle with cancer, and I'm on some immune, I'm on immune therapy that kind of causes some inflammation, but I guess it's supposed to. So I can't take things that that um, are anti-inflammatories because that can interact with the with the trial drug that I'm on. But when I find if I eat something sweet, the pain that I have in my body from um, probably from the inflammation seems to be worse when I eat. A, a refined sugar, not so much like you said, the natural sugars, but if I eat a cookie or if I eat, you know, a, a bag of candy or something, my the the pain in my joints and my hips, all the things that are kind of inflamed from this treatment seem to kind of go over the top. Is mm. am I reading into that correctly, or is there something else? I would say that's interesting, and what I would say. When someone shares something like that with me, um, I, I always say, you know your body. Mm-hmm. You know how your body responds to different foods, different beverage. I mean, you just know. Especially when you've had breast cancer, we tend to be hyper-tuned into our bodies. It just comes with the territory. And, you know, what I share with people is the science. You know, nutri- I always say nutrition is a science. It's not an opinion. And Got people it. have okay. lots of opinions about <laughs> yes, sugar. They do. Yes, and they, they are do. welcome to that. This is America. You can have your own opinion about anything. But as a nutrition professional, I use the nutrition science and what it shows us and tells us at this moment in time, recognizing that science is always changing, particularly in the world of nutrition. And so is there research that says when you eat sugar that is refined, if you're on this particular drug, you'll feel your joints get achy or pain? I don't. Probably, I have no idea, but in terms of overall influence of sugar, excuse me, you're right, low-grade inflammation is um, a factor in many different types of cancers, for sure. Mm -hmm. It's connected to almost all cancers, but, and is there a connection between sugar and inflammation? Possibly. The added sugar, again, remember, always the added sugar. Right, right. Possibly. Um, Okay. And, you know, that, that may be teased out in future, but what I... What I struggle with is when, to your point earlier, you mentioned the woman who said that diet pop caused her cancer. Mm-hmm. And we want to look at one food or one nutrient or one vitamin or lack of mm-hmm. or overage of. And it, nutrition science and breast cancer doesn't work that way. Yeah. We look at the pattern of the diet. As it's, in, it's, that need, it's that need in us to find a reason so For that sure. in the future we can fix it by just avoiding that one thing. But with yeah. cancer, it isn't generally that one thing i mean we it's, don't it's have hard. that yet yeah. hopefully we will someday and what and my what i believe is where we're going in the nutrition and, and breast cancer world is there are so many different types of breast cancers we talked about earlier yeah. i would love to see particular diet recommendations for each different type of breast cancer and that i would think be that that's gonna happen i really that, believe well it. maybe that ought to be your uh your Thing, grab that one and, and make that happen. You know? <laughs> well, I can't while, use it until wow. we see it in the science. But yeah. you know, <laughs> cancer is a metabolic disease, yeah. and nutrition works at the cellular level. I think that's what people forget. You know, they're just yeah. concerned about their diet and calories and fat, and if they're gaining weight or not. And in, as a dietitian and a pr- nutrition professional, I look at okay, what is this food doing at the cellular level that changes the environment of of the body? positively or negatively how does it impact 
So that's what we look at as nutrition scientists. So it's not just anyone, and there's a lot to tease out in an apple. <laughs> there are a million things in an apple that some things we haven't even identified. So we can't, oh, we're just not that specific yet. That's interesting. So yeah. listen, we're going to go, I'm going to go through the list very sure. quickly. Let's yep. do the, the the little short answers on the rest of this. I, I guess I, I kind of hogged that one because I had some questions specifically no, no, about sugar. Fine. But I'm just going to ask you, so soy, is it safe after a diagnosis? Yes, whole soy. I want to make sure that people understand that whole soy, like tofu or edamame or soy milk that is unsweetened and unflavored, just the, you know, regular soy milk, not the supplementation. Okay. But it is safe. Some research suggests that um, whole soy foods, one to two servings a day, may actually decrease the likelihood of recurrence. Even for estrogen fed? Yes, that, the con- okay. yes, the concern used to be the plant estrogens, which are called isoflavones in soy, that they would drive breast cancer. Okay. But they, they're not strong enough to do that, and they're okay. not, they're a different type of estrogen. They're plant-based estrogen, so we don't see that in the research. So that's new, okay. but it's okay. a myth that's not dying. Okay. Meat. Do I need to give it up? No. However, Yay. <laughs> you do need to limit it. Okay. <laughs> so and here's the thing. To what? So here's the thing. There are different ty- all the different types of cancers, right? Have some cancers are more impacted by dietary recommendations than than others. What we see in the cancer world is colorectal cancer. Uh, that it has an inc- there's an increased risk of colorectal cancer with more than 18 ounces of red meat per week. However, we do know that plant-based nutrition really is helpful for breast cancer in potentially reducing risk. So the way I position that for people is reduce, if you want to use that 18 ounces per week, stay there or below of red meat, that's a good guideline. So limit the red, but avoid processed. Okay. I'm jotting notes while we're talking here. Yeah, so, sure. The process, so avoid processed, like all the cured meats and cured things. Cured and nitrate, okay. yeah, hot dogs yeah. and bacon and all that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it can increase risk for everyone. So okay. limit the red and save the process for special occasions. Okay. Now, there are some um, brands of things that would normally would be processed, like bacon and hot dogs and things like that, salami, that are uncured. They have no nitrates or nitrites or any of those things in it. Are those... Would you still lump them in the stay away from category if there's no, none of that chemical in it? Oh, that's a really good question. That's true. There are. I don't eat them, so you're right. I don't follow what's available on the market. But I would then I would put those more in the keep them in that 18 ounces or less per week because okay. again we don't know if it's necessarily the nitrates or okay. the sodium or the curing. Sure. We don't really know. We just know that collectively from the processed meat there there is, okay. seems to be a connection. Okay. All right. Vegan or vegetarian only? Do we have to go that way? It sounds like no, based on what you just answered. No, no, you you don't. Uh, But you, I would suggest people become plant based or what I call plant forward. Put make their plants, their plants, make their plates plant forward. So putting more plants on your plate. So the guideline is two thirds of your plate filled with produce, vegetables, fruits, beans, grains, whole soy foods. And then one third of your plate with animal protein. Okay. Unless you don't eat animal protein, then your whole plate is. Yeah. And that that certainly wouldn't hurt. No. That okay. doesn't hurt anyone. Organic. Talk about organic. Are we killing sure. ourselves if we don't eat organic? No. Um, there is little evidence to support eating only organic as a way to reduce cancer risk. 
But there is lots of evidence to support eating lots of fruits and veggies as a way to potentially reduce risk. So at this point, what the research is showing us is that it is more important to get in more produce, even if it's conventional, than to skip it because you have limited access to organic or you can't afford organic. It's expensive. It's pricey. So I, I balance it. I say do some of both, whatever your budget can support. And but more importantly, do that load up on the produce side of things. Okay. And then my last kind of, well, I guess it's not my last question on this, but is there a best way to eat for prevention, for recovery, and for bone health? I know those are three different things. So talking about preventing, what's the best way to eat to prevent cancer to begin with? If I knew that, I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't have had breast cancer. There you go. Because <laughs> I think I would have been there already. Right? Okay, so let's skip that one. Well, no, <laughs> let me just, but I do, but that, I mean, and all joking aside, but I am sincere about that. But we don't have preventive, 100% prevention yet. And it is um, irresponsible when people, quote unquote, nutritionists or other people <laughs> who say, oh, you can prevent your, your cancer by doing X or eating X. We don't have that yet. But we do have potential risk reduction through um, man- maintaining a healthy weight, okay. through sticking with that plant forward, eating whole grains, veg, fruits, beans, limiting fast food, limiting foods high in added sugar and fat limiting the red and processed meat like we talked about, limiting sugary drinks, and then alcohol, limiting or eliminating alcohol. There's a strong connection to alcohol and breast cancer. So, um, and all cancers, I mean, if we look at the guidelines, recommendations for alcohol, it's, you know, for the best cancer, quote unquote, prevention, the, the recommendation is to not drink at all. And that's a personal choice. That's a that's a good question because you know we always hear about how a little red wine is is good for you and not only doesn't it not hurt you it's actually good for you but I you know my husband and I made a decision to stop drinking alcohol altogether to see if you know just a lot of different things but this is my fifth battle through cancer and uh, red wine has always been a part of my life I think you know being Greek and Italian why not but mm-hmm. yeah. um, but what I'm hearing you say is that it even though maybe red wine is the least harmful, it's still better to not have it at all. Okay, so to to your point, what you just said, you've always heard red wine is good for you. What I say as a dietitian when I hear that is, what do you mean by good for you? Good for what? Good question. Yes, what 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 the language around that is and the science around that is, red wine may be beneficial for heart health. It's connected to heart health only. Okay. Not to cancer. So any type okay. of alcohol, it's not red wine, white wine, gin, vodka is better. It's the alcohol component. Thank you. Thank you the for ethanol, clarifying that. Ethanol, okay. which is present in every form of alcohol, margaritas, gin and tonics, vodka seven, whatever you're drinking. Gasoline wine, for our cars. <laughs> yes, it's the ethanol that is problematic. And there is no safe level of alcohol that can be recommended for breast okay. cancer. If you're Fair looking enough. at the heart health, that's a complete, your heart and your boobs are different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a difference in what yeah. you're using food to address. Well, and you know, when you think about it, ethanol is in gasoline and it powers our cars and it's also an alcohol. So I, that right there kind of 
<laughs> tells, got tells me a lot. <laughs> yeah, it does. So listen, we're going to run out of time here, and we hardly got through that part. So I'm going to kind of skip down to some of the questions we had in the last segment, but we only have like two minutes. So sure. I'm going to ask you, how can a person stay motivated to exercise and eat right? And I need well, the short answer here. <laughs> yeah. Um, how I, I, I encourage people to make it non-negotiable. How I mentioned, it's just a part of my day, like brushing my teeth, getting up in the morning, putting on my clothes, exercises that. Okay. That's an individual um, conscious decision, though. I mean, it, there is huge value in activity and reducing risk of recurrence. Okay. And so if you can hold on to that, perhaps that can help motivate you to continue, get started. And, continue. and I wanted to ask that question because I want you to talk about very quickly, we only have two minutes left and I need the last 30 seconds. Um, you have a 21 day healthy lifestyle program coming up. I and, do, yes. And so tell very quickly, tell about that and the yes. link to find information. Yes, very, very quickly. So it's called 21 day breast cancer healthy lifestyle program where I address nutrition and fitness and wellness over this three weeks. And I'm doing live educational trainings each week. It's all online. So no one has to show up at my office. I have special early bird pricing, which is long over, but I have that for your listeners. And I have a a special link that they can use to get that. Um, And so, yeah, I'm I'm helping them build knowledge and confidence in in their choices. People get very confused about the nutrition, and they don't really know what to do. They think they do, but then they're like, well, I've been diagnosed with cancer. Everything I thought I knew is yeah, out, totally the, window. out yeah. the window. So, so yeah. what is that What is that link before we sure. run out of time? It's DAMMAD, D-A-M-M-A-D, about breast cancer. All one word, DAMMADAboutBreastCancer.com. Okay. Forward slash 21, the number 21, dash day dash V-A. Voice America forward slash. Oh, awesome. So if they if they use that link, then they will be able to um, get the discount that you're Special offering. That, pricing, yes. that is fabulous. We are out of time. I am so sorry. This is, I'm glad we skipped that last break. We should have probably skipped the first one too. But um, <laughs> you have been a wonderful guest. We thank you so much. Uh, we will be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope. And we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hennepin and Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.